Today on Podcast by the Bay, current town of Woodside Mayor Chris Shaw. What we feel that we can do to comply with some of the state mandates in increasing the housing stock is encouraging people in Woodside to construct accessory dwelling units, commonly known as ADUs. Um, I think more commonly known as in-law units or granny units, a pool house, whatever it is. Discussing many of the local issues and what makes Woodside great. One of the other things that I've been really happy about is we've implemented uh, through the town engineer, Sean Rose, uh, a series of measures to increase the safety and enhance the ability to get around town on foot or on bicycle. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com and now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading the episode. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today we're going to continue our Mayor on the Peninsula series. And we're going to showcase the town of Woodside. And so the mayor of the town of Woodside is actually Chris Shaw. And so we're going to showcase an interview with Chris Shaw. And so, Patrick, you got to meet Chris you got to speak with him and talk about the town of Woodside. Can you, so can you tell us a little background about Chris and a little background about Woodside? Well, you know, I'm going to do a little bit different. I, Chris uh, um, was a, a very much a busy man and a challenge to get a hold of. Um, he actually has worked for uh, some nonprofits, and he also um, is quite instrumental. The reason why he got into government or in remember Woodside, you um, you run for a district. There's so many districts in in Woodside. I'm, I can't name them all, but there's a few districts. He was a, he was an avid bike rider, and he had a, a group of people that he rides bikes with um, in Woodside. And somebody kind of challenged him to run for city council, and he decided to to run for city council. He's a strong believer in local government. He believes that local government can solve more problems. Then they settled back in the state of California or back in Washington, D.C. He was very passionate um, about making decisions for Woodside. Um, again, Woodside is approximately 4,500 people, maybe 46. The medium income in there um, is 246000 probably as much higher than that, too, but that's the medium. 
Um, the income for the has been a range anywhere from two hundred and twelve thousand uh, two hundred to a medium of two forty six. Um, total population actually is a little bit larger than Portola Valley. There are about fifty five hundred people. Um, Eighteen forty nine during the gold rush. Twenty years. Mattis Alfred Parkhurst purchased one hundred and twenty seven acres of timberland named as Woodside, of course. This name was kept. By the late 19th century, Woodside was home to the country estates. The sequoia redwood trees in Woodside are currently three generations of growth. The first generation of the redwood trees were used to build San Francisco's original homes. After the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, the loggers returned to Woodside to cut the second growth of redwoods so that they could be used for rebuilding San Francisco. In 1909, the family of private club set up a camp facility in a rustic building in Woodside at the family farm, a rural treatment by the club members of a recreation. Gathering then the family farm to include an annual farm play written and performed by members. In 1912, the family pooled funds to build Our Lady of Wayside Church in Portola Valley, designed by a 19-year-old Timothy F. Fluger, his, his first commission. The historic building was repaired at the cost of 600000 after the 1990. 1989, Loma Prieta earthquake. Today, Woodside is among the wealthiest small town in the United States. Again, we don't have very much. We have a shopping center with that um, with the Village Pub, Bucks of Woodside Restaurant. Um, a lot of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs in the location and many VC investment deals have been signed at the fire at the Firehouse Bristow or been signed at Bucks uh, Restaurant. We will have an upcoming interview with the owner of Buck's Restaurant, and he was the one that reached out to um, to uh, Chris Shaw to make sure that I had the opportunity to interview him. Horses are part of the culture here. Numerous residents keep horses on the on the town government maintains a network of horse trails. Some residents' homes are, are considered farms. In order to have horses, you have to have a minimum of an acre of land. The town is also um, popular among local cyclists, and large numbers on the weekends. The most popular road is Old La Honda Road, Kings Mountain, Kenyatta Road, Southgate Drive, Skyline Boulevard, Highway 84. The tour of California Bikes Race includes several rounds and adjacent to California 84 and Skyline Boulevard. Okay, geography, the weather's ideal, um, and it's midway between San Francisco and San Jose, uh, just north of Silicon Valley in San Mateo County. The infamous San Andreas Fault runs through the town. This fall is a major source of earthquake activity in California. Much of Woodside is wooded, with redwoods and Douglas fir dominating the western hills, and more oaks and eucalyptus in the lower areas. The San Francisco Bay lies to the east, while the Pacific Ocean Beach lies to the west, and the Santa Cruz Mountains separate Woodside from the ocean to an extent. Without further ado, it's a great opportunity. Again, we don't have the challenges um, that the other surrounding cities, Portola Valley uh, and Woodside, share a cooperation for emergency purposes and cooperate quite a bit. Uh, currently, most of the towns on the peninsula are all talking, do we have enough supplies for a 30-day uh, reserve in case we have a, a earthquake or a flood or Tusami or whatever? So uh, without further ado, I think you should listen to Chris Shaw, it's an honor for him to be a public servant. He's dedicated, and again, um, it's good to see that somebody steps out of their their normal life. He is working with a cancer research uh, startup firm, and he's helped uh, get them venture capital. Um, he's giving back, and I hope you listen to him close. Sounds good, Patrick. Well, we're excited to present Chris Shaw. 
And I just want to highlight uh, on the Woodside website, you can actually see on the first Friday of every of every month, there's an arts kind of a lecture. And it looks like uh, they do it at the Independence Hall. It looks like the Woodside Town Hall. And it's 2955 Woodside Road in California, or Woodside, California. And so anybody who's driven through Woodside, who's kind of taken those back roads, it's one of the most beautiful places. And I would say in, in, in my heart, in my one of my... You know places that I really enjoy driving through and just kind of um, just uh, just just kind of being. It's actually there in Woodside. It's one of the most beautiful places. And uh, yeah. So, anyways, I think without further ado, we are going to get to the go ahead and get to the interview with Chris Shaw, uh, Mayor of Woodside, on our Peninsula Mayor series. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please send us an email podcastbythebay at gmail dot com. Our Twitter handle is at podcastbythebay. And also you can like us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And remember, we're here to bring solutions. We're here to talk to the issues and we're here to talk to our elected officials. So that's what we're doing. So with that, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the bay. Stay tuned. Right here. One, two. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me go. Yeah, because I was swearing. Okay, well, yeah, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. We have the honor of interviewing Chris Shaw. He was the mayor of Woodside. He's going to give you a little background of himself. Uh, Chris, why don't you start out? Uh, where are you from originally? Sure. I am from Southern California originally. I grew up in a small town, uh, roughly the same size of Woodside, called Del Mar. It's in northern San Diego County. I moved to Woodside in 1992 and have been a, an incredibly happy resident ever since. And your background, uh, what is your background? I know mayor is not the full-time position that you make your income off, and it's uh, being a public servant. So give the listeners a little background about what you do sure. professionally. Uh, professionally, I run a small medical food company that produces a fluid and electrolyte replacement primarily for cancer patients. Uh, it's a non-inferior alternative to intravenous fluids for correcting fluid and electrolyte imbalance caused by chemotherapy and radiation treatments. Wow, congratulations. How long have you been doing that? We have been at it for about four years. This is our fifth year and are in the process, actually, of gearing up to enter clinical trials with the idea of an FDA approval for the product to be used in the broader healthcare market. Okay, well, let's talk about how you got involved in politics and, and Woodside. How long have you been in Woodside? Yep, so I've uh, been in Woodside since 90, uh, 1992, uh, so we could do the math on that, 26 years. And I came from a background or a family that was very active in politics. My father was a professional fundraiser, uh, started the Community Chest in Los Angeles and the United Way in San Diego, uh, supporting uh, local government and local government initiatives. My mother was active in primarily state politics, working for Pat Brown and was actually involved with Del Mar politics, was running for mayor of Del Mar unsuccessfully at the time. And the one thing that I learned growing up was it's all well and good to stand around and complain. And it's all well and good to sit around the dinner table and complain about politics. But unless you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get your hand into the, the process, all you really are doing is complaining. So 
uh, I became active in Woodside, not necessarily in the political sense, but started becoming involved with the town. I ran the local T-ball league for, I think it was five, six, seven years, and attended regularly some of the committee meetings that were impacting my family, our architectural site and review board meetings, the planning commission meetings, uh, the circulation committee meetings. Um, So was on the periphery of being deeply involved before I joined the town council. Well, you know, the unique thing of, um, and I'm a real estate broker by trade, so I know the unique thing of Woodside, you you have a lot of extremely wealthy people that are spending a lot of money on their property and they they have high demands sometimes that they put on the... uh, on the planning commission and stuff like that. You, you guys have been fortunate to be able to deal with it pretty well. What is the success of that? Um, because obviously we won't mention names of people no. that have moved into Woodside. We all know their names because there are names on some of the buildings around here too. Right. So actually, you know, it's interesting because you're correct. The demographic in Woodside, you know, is, uh, you know, a very wealthy, educated demographic, but, I will say, in all frankness, that regardless of where you live, if you purchase real estate, you have made a significant investment. Whether you're building in a small farming town in the Midwest or you're buying, you know, three and a half million dollar an acre land in Woodside, it's a significant investment. And when you make that investment, you have an expectation of what your property rights are. And this is where the delicate dance and balance comes in, in balancing an individual's property rights with the greater community's desires or visions of that community. And when you look at a town like Woodside, and it is unique, Woodside is unique, not because of the people or their wealth, but the topography of Woodside. We have flatlands, we have mountain lands, we have hill lands, we have a lot of creeks and streams, we have protected areas, all right? And Woodside has long been considered, um, I, I hate the term rural, but it's the one that we use a lot in town. We have a rural character or a rural environment set within the greater Bay Area. How does one preserve that open space and heavily wooded wildlife uh, aspects, but then allowing people who have made this very large investment of their time and capital and their desires to build their home. And, you know, you're very generous in saying that we've done it successfully because I think a lot of people would argue over the years that Woodside has been an incredibly difficult uh, well, they said you, they build. said you had a high-paid uh, city attorney that was pretty good. So, actually, I think uh, we, as a matter of fact, we just did our annual review of our town attorney and her fees, and she's middle of the road in terms of what she gets paid on an hourly basis. I think she's done a remarkable job of helping us navigate 
some pretty contentious issues. I think that the, the reputation of Woodside being a difficult place to build comes about because we have a planning commission whose job it is is to interpret the municipal code and either uh, grant or deny variances to our building code. But again, the things that makes Woodside unique from other communities is that we do have an architectural site and review board, which is a volunteer appointed committee that is tasked with the very difficult job of interpreting our general plan, which calls out for what defines Woodside against what is our municipal code, which is the end of the line in terms of this is what you can do. And For what the you listeners, can't do. how much of the property in Woodside is in the unincorporated area? Is there a percentage that's in the unincorporated uh, area? I don't know the answer to that. It is the town of Woodside is clearly defined. It's all incorporated into the town of Woodside. There are parts of Woodside outside of our boundaries that are considered Woodside that are unincorporated San Mateo County. Okay. Um, you know, I encourage you to listen to the uh, mayor of uh, Portola Valley because John has the similar situation yes, that you're in. Does. The population is about the same. Um, with that said, I'm, I'm a, a couple questions I wanted to ask you. Yeah. First of all, you, you've been on the council for how long since? I believe I was seated in January of 2016. Okay. So in a short time, you're mayor. Did, yes. Did they rotate the chair for you? They do rotate the chair for us. Uh, I think it is primarily, we have a town council of seven. I know that a lot of places five. have five. I think our seven seats are justified based upon, again, the differences in our topography, right? And I think it's important to have the voice of someone living up on Skyline to be balanced against someone living down out Kenyatta Road. In How the many Fonts. districts are there? In seven. Here? Seven. So seven districts. Seven. Right. That makes sense. Now, one of the more controversial things, and you guys are kind of following the rule already to begin with, the uh, there's been a couple of lawsuits going to, towards that that the elected officials should represent the district. Correct. And, and, and I can see that you strongly believe that that's the way it should go. Uh, yes. And we, you know, we're fortunate in Woodside. We've always held district elections. Uh, I do know there are several other communities in San Mateo County that are now in the process of moving towards district elections. Now, how many people that um, actually work for the city of Woodside actually live in Woodside? Not many. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought it up because one of the hot topics, uh, not just uh, you know, within the town council discussions, but in the greater Woodside discussion, is the same thing that's happening up and down the peninsula. It's an expensive place to live, whether you're trying to buy in Woodside or you're trying to buy in Redwood City. Uh, we spend an awful lot of time or have in the last six months working on, and I'm, I'm holding up air quotes, you can't see me on a podcast, affordable housing, right? What we feel that we can do to comply with some of the state mandates in increasing the housing stock is encouraging people in Woodside to construct accessory dwelling units, commonly known as ADUs, um, I think more commonly known as in-law units or granny units, a pool house, whatever it is. 
And it's not that suddenly you're going to build a 1,500-square-foot ADU in Woodside and call it, quote-unquote, unaffordable. But what it does do, and this is really important, is it allows the property owner to bring an aging parent or a returning uh, child back onto their property, which technically will free up housing stock elsewhere on the peninsula, which would probably be more affordable than what you would rent the same space for. Well, we congratulate. I know um, Atherton is talking the same thing. I know quite a few people that live in Atherton and their situation, some of those houses are actually more expensive than the market. And some of those people are choosing to turn their house into a rental or build an accessory unit. So I, I think that's a good solution or, or, or a, a minor solution. It's an incremental solution. Incremental. You know, I wanted to talk um, talk about 827, which looks like it went down to defeat yesterday, and that's uh, Senator Weiner's bill. And Senator Weiner's bill uh, was basically uh, the hammer, so to speak, wanting to, to force the cities to have a certain requirement of housing. Now, do you have, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming in Woodside we don't have that situation because there is no developments of, of apartment buildings or duplexes or triplexes. Um, so I just wanted to hear your, your opinion as a, an elected official, what you thought of the Wiener bill, or did you even bother to, no, to worry about it because it doesn't affect you? No, I, it does not affect Woodside. I was familiar with reading about it in the paper. Uh, I will tell you as, you know, a fairly libertarian bent that, when you try and force people or penalize people into behaving a certain way, it generally is ineffective. And again, I'm, I'm giving you my personal opinion. This is not the opinion of the town of Woodside because, again, we don't have multifamily homes or apartment buildings. Uh, and even if you were to try and do it, you know, if we suddenly said, fine, we'll let you put up a 40-door apartment building in Woodside, it's so cost prohibitive to build and buy that land that it doesn't make economic sense to do it. So if the state were to come in and say, no, no, you know, this is what you have to do, the land starts at about $3 million an acre, and that's before you put a shovel in the ground. So how do you make that work as affordable housing? We're going to have you for a minute take your council hat off and try to address the problem on housing. You're in a unique situation as well as Portola Valley is in Atherton, too, in Hillsboro. So what do you think the rest of the cities in the state of California... They indicated that the state of California is some 330,000 units short. Right. Um, so we've got a rapid expansion. We also realize that we only build on 20% of the land um, out here, too. So is there any idea that you would like the listeners to um, think about uh, on how we could increase the, uh, the housing stock with, sure. without damaging the environment and stuff? Well, again, you're, you're in a very delicate balance, all right? The the peninsula, San Mateo County, 
there is a finite amount of land. And you can say, oh, but look at all the land in the hills and out to the coast, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now you come down to value, not economic value, but social value. I happen to put a huge amount of social value on open space, on preserving the acreage that we have because they're very large tracts of watershed and natural environment that once you build on it, it's gone. So you have to balance those needs against this rapid expansion as you've alluded to. I don't think that anybody living on the peninsula is looking to turn the peninsula into Hong Kong with, you know, mile after mile of 20-story high-rises, okay? So if you start from that position, what are we going to do about it? The third thing that you have to balance in there is how are you going to move this many people around even we're, if they do live here. We're going to get we're going to get We're going to get to transportation we're, 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 good. <laughs> but before we before we move off here, I, I'm going to go backwards half a step on you because you brought up how many people that work for the town of Woodside live in the town of Woodside? And, and, you know, we had a chuckle at that. I'd like to share with you something that I think is really, really important because I'm a parent of two elementary school aged children here in Woodside. And we have the same problem with the teaching staff at our local school that we do here in town. And it's, they can't afford to live within a reasonable driving distance, even though Woodside compensates their teachers very well. So, uh, you know, I attend a lot of the school board meetings, both as a parent and it, I liaise for the town at these meetings. And there was a presentation from a company called Landed. It's a local company. And what they do is they encourage school districts, towns, whoever to create what effectively are uh, miniature venture capital funds that landed administers. And what they do is they will match 50% of the down payment on a home for teachers, firefighters, policemen, town employees, because they're model is essentially is that if you can get that person into a home, they're going to put down roots in the community and they're going to remain and become part of the community and raise a family. It's not that they can't afford the monthly mortgage. It's coming up with 20% down. And I, this is way too much information, but essentially so, they give, you know, if you're buying a million dollar home and you need $200,000 as a down payment, the fund will put in a hundred. The homeowner puts in a hundred. Is this part of the city? No, um, it's a it, total separate. So um, this is separate from most of the cities now are all putting their money into heart because obviously sure. in the last recession we had, Cities found out managing uh, the stock of affordable housing or below market housing was rather challenging. Yep. And, they, and they lost some of it during that time where people just went under. And this is, this is not a city-managed project. It is not designed at affordable housing. Granted, the home buyer still has to qualify for the loan. 
right? And landed helps them find homes that fit their budget, et cetera. So this is outside of the city yeah. Woodside. And this is, yeah. we did, I headed up a small group and we went out and raised a pool of funds for the Woodside Elementary Schools, teachers. Wow. And it's, again, it's a way of investing in the future. Well, I like the thought process because we're going to get into that a little yep. bit. Sorry, Sorry, I didn't mean to well, hijack the okay. conversation. Um, Stanford University, Kenyatta College, College of San Mateo, all have campus housing. Right. Okay. Um, and some of it is for the teacher. Most of it is for the teachers now. What do you think of that type of housing? Because we do have some campuses or some cities that are closing some schools. Um, San Bruno's closing one. Redwood City's closing one. Do you think that that type of housing would be adaptable for teachers? Uh, actually, that's a great concept. I don't know that it would work again within the town of Woodside based upon the cost of the land. Uh, I think, you know, it comes down to the individual teacher and what their, you know, personal situation is. Well, I'm glad you're passionate about the teachers because I went back and got my master's in teaching and business. I do teach once in a while in the Sequoia School District, so we do value those people that are in that classroom, tackling a, a big challenge with the diversity of, of, of backgrounds and economics and stuff. Um, the buzzword around the peninsula, and, and it probably might have come to your council, it hasn't come to your council. Um, I'm going to use a project in Foster City. We have a project called the Saris Regis Project, which the developer, Saris Regis, was going to do commercial and retail. He's decided that he, he, he no longer feels that that is adaptable for him and he wants to build housing. He's in the negotiations of talking with the city. Nothing's been formalized with the planning commission. But the buzzword that came out, and it's not just Foster City, was called workforce housing. Mm -hmm. Now, workforce housing dovetailed right into your school teachers. Yep. But it also dovetails into other people, too. Um, what do you think of workforce housing? And um, the plan that you just told about the teachers, do you think that could expand into workforce housing for nurses or someone else that, that make a contribution to the city of Woodside. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to take a variety of solutions. There's not going to be a one solution to the problem. So when you look at workforce housing, I think things like that tend to find their appropriate point. You know, not all, not everyone's looking for the same type of living arrangement. So workforce housing, I think, is absolutely appropriate. And maybe it is the type of thing that somebody gets involved with and then their family's expanding and they want to be in a single family unit or they want to move into an apartment. Great. I think we have to provide a multitude of creative solutions. Let's, let's dissect that um, the fund that you're working on now with yep. uh, other men. Do you think there's some uh, companies out there that might be interested in engaging and working with cities on that? I know we have a we have Facebook, which is is, is actually engaging on the transportation with the old Dumbarton Bridge. Yes, putting uh, now I was told uh, not only did they put a million dollars, but they put fifty million dollars up to help improve the transportation. So do you think we can, we, uh, city government um, and, and maybe state or county need to kind of lean on them a little bit more to help resolve the problems that we have? 
Okay, <laughs> yes and no, but go ahead and push all my hot buttons. Um, I think, okay, so first off, a million dollars does nothing. And I know that that sounds like hubris, but we're going to spend that just improving a thousand feet of pathway to create safe routes to school in the town of Woodside. So $50 million is not an insignificant commitment on the behalf of Facebook. I bristle when people insist that company X, Y, or Z, it's their responsibility to solve all of these problems. Yes, they share a responsibility. It is not their sole responsibility. So I applaud any of the larger tech companies, if we want to you know, focus in on that, for looking for solutions to not only housing but transportation. Because at the end of the day, we need to be able to move people more efficiently. You know, why in the world there's not a light rail system running up and down Highway 280? I don't know. Well, I do know because projects of that size, whether it's the Dumbarton Bridge project or infrastructure for housing or mass transportation, requires a huge amount of political will. The money part is easy. It's the political will. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm going to be interviewing Dave Tanner. Yep. Um, and um, he's got a, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Dave Tanner, but I'm going to talk because I'm going to interview him next week. But I do want to talk about the transportation thing because I had a, a wonderful opportunity so far to interview almost 14 mayors. And they all have the same issues you're talking about, the transportation one of the gentlemen that I really wanted to interview, and I met him at a uh, symposium talking about traffic congestion, was Seamus Murphy. Seamus Murphy is the chief coordinator uh, with uh, Sam Trams, and he talks, of, he re- kind of indirectly represents BART, rail, and all that other system. Um, I encourage the listeners to listen to him because we, we, we talked about the light rail. We talked about a lot of things, but one thing that really was evident on the peninsula is we don't have a transit district. And that we only the only thing that they can claim is that we have a clipper card, uh, and which doesn't connect all the transportation. So, with your thought process, because you're you're pretty open minded and creative with your thought process, how, what do you think? Do you think we need to have uh, the cities more collectively working together on a transit district that intertwines with BART? It intertwines with with the rail system because. Uh, Every, and for the last 20 years I've attended this and I keep hearing the same thing, we don't connect. Because they're all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar. Right. So absolutely. One of the things that, that we battle here is you've got a lot of small towns, right? I mean, just around us, there's seven different towns that touch Stanford, Right. There does, and, and whether what the, the title of it is, I don't know. And I'm sure, I think Dave's got some great ideas about mass transit. But there, it can't be a, a community by community solution. We, you do need to be able to get on a train in Gilroy and get to where you need to go. They have to connect. They don't just have to connect via the payment system. You don't, you know, why you're having to change trains because the trains don't run on the same tracks to me is lunacy. 
And again, this is, you know, when you look at the small incremental things, and I know I've focused a lot on those because they can make a difference right now. But when you look at the big picture, the political will that it takes to drive that type of vision, creating a a transit district, getting the communities to work together towards solving true mass transit has to happen. It has to get started because every day that goes by, it's not just that more people are getting on the freeway, but the cost of the solution goes up every day. Well, you know, I've, I've got to encourage some real good leadership in Millbrae. The, the mayor, Gina Pappen, I don't know if you know her, I had an opportunity to interview her, and boy, she went off on traffic. And one of her focus was is that, you know, they're at the pivotal point for the going into the airport. Okay, and little did I know at that time that it only goes into the airport a few times a day. So she's been adamant, one of the reasons why she was opposed to the development right near the BART station is because there was nothing there for the transportation to improve it. Well, now, uh, I I don't know whether uh, it was my interview with Seamus Murphy or or the rant and raving of Mayor Gina Pappen, something is going to happen so that we can get that squeaky wheel so that we get more people in and out to the airport. So is there anything that you think, um, you, you mentioned, and, we, um, and we've been talking with different cities, and they're talking about increasing the ferry system or doing uh, hovercraft or something to get people from Point Redwood City all the way down to San Francisco. So right. any thoughts on that? I think water is, look, I fly in and out of the Bay Area all the time and you look down out the window of your plane down to the water there's not a lot going on down there that is an amazing way to move people all over the bay area and i know that facebook and some of the tech companies are using that resource i think we need to do more with it i think we need to do more with rail uh you know again i applaud those people who are not just having the vision. It's easy to sit here and talk to you about it, but that's really rolling your sleeves up. Um, you know, and I'm happy to admit, I'm flapping my gums at it, but I'm, you know, that's, that's more than I'm biting off at this time. But well, I'm know, in we're full support of it. We appreciate that. You know, and the uniqueness of having the opportunity to interview the mayors is for you guys to listen to each other because it's not just going to Monterey and going to the PowerPoint presentation and having the the nice dinners and conversations, but it's actually being able to engage not only with another city manager. Um, We talk about transportation. The 101 corridor and the 92 corridor and Woodside Road, I don't want to take Woodside, um, have heavy traffic congestion. Yes, they do. Um, In Redwood or in Foster City, I challenged the mayor uh, uh, Rick Bonilla and Sam Hindi to work something out because in Foster City where I live a lot of people that would go uh, and take the train can't get out because there is no commuter lane right. so in the morning so we we need to see that cities like you're talking about can work together to solve the problem as opposed to this is the problem what do we do right I yeah look we even though you know we're a small little town we face the same congestion issues with people commuting uh on woodside road you know worse still is you know if there's an accident on 280 well all the tech 
apps are routing people through our community roads. And it's not, yeah, nobody wants to see commuters driving down their little road. The problem in Woodside is when I say little road, they're really little roads. You can, you know, there are some roads where you can't pass side I've been by on side. some of those roads. Right. Yeah. And you can, and, yeah. You know, we spend a ton of money maintaining them and it's not a function, oh, all these people are ruining their roads. It's just that if the road's that narrow, you can't get there. So a practical solution. You know, I love the fact that Woodside has a park and ride right there at 280. Well, it's not ours. It's Caltrans, right? Why isn't that better utilized? Why isn't that a light rail stop? You know, there, there are things, again, that I think every town could contribute to, even though we don't really have a transit hub. Those are the types of things that if we were to come to the town council, I think we'd be fabulously enthusiastic about. So I, it sounds like we need a little bit more of regionalization when it comes to transportation and that, that we're missing the boat on that, too. Right, because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, Woodside doesn't face the same issues that Foster City or Redwood City or Milpitas faces. We have Highway 280, you know, going across our eastern border, our uh, southern border. Well, this is a time for you to, to brag about. You've been on council. Um, what are some of the accomplishments that you've been able to do? Um, well, first of all, I think the accomplishments really rest with the town manager and the staff. Uh, Woodside essentially has a very, very small commercial district. So again, different from other communities. You know, we're in the business of building and remodeling homes, okay? One of the things that I'm most proud about in my tenure on town council is there has been a very consistent, steady, measurable improvement in the process within town hall of permitting of the application process, of the building process. And it hasn't been a wholesale abandonment of our values, but we have consistently cleaned up our municipal code to make it easier to use. We have cleaned up our process by which you go through the architectural and site review process. And it is measurable. I, you know, I, it's a small town. You can't go to the grocery store without somebody grabbing you by your collar and either haranguing you or patting you on the back. And more and more, I am hearing people coming back saying, hey, look, I went through the building process and it wasn't nearly as contentious as I thought it would be. Uh, and that, again, as town council, we will direct staff, but it's the staff that go in and do the heavy lifting. And then they bring it back to us and we get to look wow. like we're smart. Right. Um, one of the other things that I've been really happy about is we've implemented uh, through the town engineer, Sean Rose, uh, a series of measures to increase the safety and enhance the ability to get around town on foot or on bicycle. Right. Because there are a lot of people who want to walk in this community or ride a bike. And interestingly enough, back to your transit is, you know, we've narrowed the lanes on Woodside Road and out Kenyatta and on Whiskey Hill. And it has the benefit of 
allowing a greater buffer between bikes and cars or pedestrian and cars, but it also slows traffic, also increasing his, uh, the safety. So I'm very happy about that. Um, you know, so again, process with maintaining the culture and the values of what's Well, I appreciate the interview. And I, and I wanted to close with a, just one thing. Um, and you talked about it quite a bit through your interview. What does it mean to you to be a public servant? I'll answer that this way. Uh, I'm very proud of being able to sit on town council and be mayor and take an active role in things and consider myself being prepared for every meeting. What I would genuinely like to see is something other than one or two people and a reporter in the audience at our town council meetings. Granted, a lot of what we do is keep the lights on, right? Sewer pump needs to be replaced. I get it. Nobody wants to come out and listen to that. But when we put important topics on the agenda, term limits, uh, there's something else coming down the pipe. It's not on the agenda yet, so I can't talk about it. But so often there are things that are very, very important, and we hold publicly noticed meetings and do study sessions, and the room is empty. Well, you know, that that's also true in many other cities, but, you know, it, it's sad, but maybe Podcast by the Bay is going to help <clears throat> get people more engaged. Yeah. In behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to interview you, and we also thank you for being a good public servant. Oh, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it.
Well, thanks to Leo DeVito for those beautiful piano melodies. And you can find out more about Leo on the Highway Soul music page at highwaysoul.com. All right, well, we're going to get down to the thought of the episode. And so today's thought of the episode is about all these these people that are talking about how to be successful and really what it takes to be successful. And I've actually studied a lot of, you know, some of those uh, success kind of, um, uh, you know, books and, and just ideas. And nowadays on your feed, on their Facebook or your Instagram, you're seeing, I don't know, you must have like 10 different people in a, in a day. You might see like, you know, trying how to be successful, how to market this and, you know, how you can make money doing this. And, and so it's interesting, but it's really exploded. And the reason why is because most of these people have recognized that the only way to make money is to really go and tell other people how to make money, right? <laughs> it's actually not to follow their steps and you're going to be successful. That's really the long road to success. The short term is actually, hey, I'm going to, I have an idea. I've had a little bit of success and I'm going to exploit this and then tell other people how to do it. So anyways, that is one of the things that I see happening all the time. And so with that, um, uh, just a note, if you really want to read the book, that is the one that started it all. And actually one that is, I would say, the key to all these success. It actually has solid I guess just really theory. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So anyways, go check out that one. It's called Think and Grow Rich. That's the, that's the one that really has started that whole movement. That one really took all the essence of really all these modern day how to, how to get rich people. This is actually the one written in 1937. Go check it out. Anyways, so back to what really the concept is about in today's thought of the thought of the day and so i was recognizing something i was thinking about people being successful and i was reading this article about um this hong kong uh horse track um uh you know this better this gambler and they had developed an algorithm to kind of help predict the the horse races right and what they were actually predicting was the accuracy of their predictions against the accuracy of the odds, right? The odds makers. So they were trying to see how accurate their model was and if they could be better. If they were better, great. But really what they found was that most of their odds were pretty accurate and it was about as good as they were going to get. However, they did find one racetrack and that was in Hong Kong. So that's where they went, and they recognized that they had a, like a very small 0.001% advantage over the racetrack. Their odds were slightly better than the ones that were being, you know, the, the, the ones that were by the odds makers. So anyways, they took advantage of that by betting mass amounts of money and capitalizing on their accuracy over the odds makers' accuracy. And it really... And so they were able to capitalize and really to make mass amounts of money. And it, it made me recognize that success a lot of times is not about the hard work. It's not about all this kind of um, different strategies. It's about really finding the 
disadvantage or it's finding the advantage that you might have over something and really maximizing, capitalizing on it and exploiting it. And that's what a lot of these people do, like Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss is one of these success people. That's his whole, you know, his whole stick, right? It's it's to really maximize, uh, you know, the advantage. And really, sometimes it's really taking advantage of people. And so I think, you know, you have to draw the line ethically somewhere. I don't, you know, I think if you look at some of the stuff, to me, it just seems to be a little bit non-ethical, I think to, to, to if if that's the route, I mean, you talk about finance, right? You talk about these markets, stock markets. I had a professor, um, you know, at USF that basically, you know, that was his job when he was in the financial markets, when he was, uh, you know, when he worked on Wall Street. That was his job is to build these algorithms that would help predict and maximize and find that little, uh, you know, um, you know, inequality where they could discapitalize and exploit it. That was it. That was their job. So there's different ways. And I just, I don't think that's that, that defining of success to me, it it seems like a lot of these ideas, they come down to that. It comes down to where do they find the advantage? How do you get the advantage? Now, some people think you have a skill, right? You have a great school. You're a great football player. You have an advantage, right? Um, so that might put you in position, but I think there's a lot of other things that, that go with that besides just having the skill, right? Because you can see somebody who has the great skills, right? R R G three, right? One of the most talented people, right? And you know, I think there's you, you recognize that there's more components to what makes people successful. So, anyways, I just thought that was interesting when I was started thinking about success and what does it mean, you know, how, you know all these people talking about how to be successful and how are you gonna make this you know, and, and and you recognize, and a lot of it's just about capitalizing on this, these little in, inequalities on things and taking advantage of that loophole. And a lot of times it is a loophole. It's just a little thing, you know, um, you know that the government sets up that people can take advantage of, and boom, they all exploit it, right? You know, um, and I think that, yes, that is a strategy, um, but I think there's more to it, and that's what I'm saying. There's more rounded strategy to what makes things successful. So anyways, that's the thought of the episode. I'm kind of rambling on and going all over the place with it. But I would say if you really want to know about true success and and really what some of the fundamentals, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, written in 1937. And that really sets it to the core of what's true and what's reality. Very practical. And that's really, in my opinion, the key to really you know, approaching how do you want to approach success? You know, that's, that's really the key. So anyways, with that, that's the thought of the episode and I'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the bank. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of podcast by the bay podcast by the bay is brought to you by highway soul productions check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with liberty realty liberty realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com remember to subscribe and download our podcast 
on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.